morning, every nation family. My name is Melinda Douglas. And this morning, we are going on a journey. And we're going to read one of the most well-known, most well-known, I don't know if that's English, um, stories in the Bible. But let's prepare our hearts in prayer. Father God, from time, before time began, you were on the throne. And you are still there. And you are good. And you are almighty. And you are righteous and holy. Yet you chose to be in relationship with us. You are never changing. Father God, please open our, our, our ears and our hearts this morning. And let this not be a, a story that we've heard a thousand times before, but come speak to our heart. Let this be a life-changing moment for each one of us. Amen. So we are going to look at this story from the eyes of John. You can follow with me in your Bible, John 6, verse 1 to 2. To 15, but it will also be on the screen. Jesus feeds the 5,000. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that the large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to find bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test them, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now the author of this book is John, John the Disciple. John, one of the sons of Zebedee, he's one of the first disciples that Jesus called. He's one of the only disciples mentioned being at the cross. He's also believed to be the disciple that lived the longest. And the reason for his book is easy to determine because he wrote it for us. In John 20 verse 31, he said, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life 
in his name. Now, John's account of the ministry of Jesus is a, is a little different than the others, Mark, Luke, and, and Matthew. Some of the commentaries call it a book of wisdom because it's so much the form is like the Hebrew poems of old. John was an artist. He saw things differently, an observer. So out of the 33 miracles that is recorded in the Bible, John chose only seven. He grouped them as the book of signs. And the stories following these books, that's John 2 to 12, were specifically chosen to show us Jesus as the Christ. And in fact, this is the, the lens through which John saw his whole life. John calls himself the beloved disciple. It's because he knew his whole identity was settled in this, that God loved him first. It's interesting to note that John's book was written to a group of believers. You would think that believers, followers of Jesus, would know who Jesus is. Yet, he said, I write this so that you would know who Jesus is. That implies that they misunderstood something, something about who Jesus is. And that will be our question today. What about who Jesus is does John want us to understand? One of the commentaries, Raymond E. Brown, called this miracle the miracle of provision. And I decided to make this the title of my sermon. It's no surprise that John see different things when he tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Different things than the other three. And the first difference that we can see is in John 6 verse 4. He said that Passover was near. Now Passover was, and probably still is, one of the important festivals of the Jews. Almost as important as Christmas is for us. It doesn't mean the same thing, but it carried the same weight. Devout Jews and non-believing Jews alike knew exactly what the first Passover was about. They know the happenings around it, around it and what it meant. The first Passover was in the Old Testament. It's the slaughtered ram, the Passover lamb, the exodus out of Egypt, the providing of the crowds in the desert on their way to the promised land. John looked at this picture and sat back and he saw the first Passover. He saw the crossing of the water. He saw the crowds. He saw the miraculous provision for the people. Jesus is calling the disciples and he's asking them where they should find bread. And he's even using the same phrase that Moses used in Numbers 11 verse 13 when he said, where am I to get meat for all these people? I don't think it's a coincidence that the place where this miracle took place, Bethsaida, means plenty of fish in Aramaic. He, Jesus, is God incarnate. God that becomes man. 
God that provided for Israelites in the desert. God who through Jesus provided for the crowds. Yeah. God providing Jesus as the Passover lamb. Providing eternal salvation for us. That is the biggest miracle of provision. Eternal salvation. John wants us to understand that God's provision is eternal. When God took the Israelites out of Egypt, His intention was their spiritual condition. The Israelites only saw the physical. Thank goodness we're not in slavery anymore. God was thinking about their hearts, turning away from the riches of Egypt and their hearts towards Him, looking at Him for everything. That is the promised land. Him and us in relationship. The crowds followed Jesus because He saw the miracles that He did. How He healed the sick. Luke 9 verse 11 said that after the crowd started following Him, Jesus was teaching the crowds. He was talking about the kingdom of God. He spoke about spiritual relationship while the people waited for physical showmanship. Jesus comes to Philip in John 6 verse 5 and he asks him, where are we to find bread for these people? Now, Jesus is not asking for Philip's advice. Philip was the disciple that ran to Nathaniel saying, I have found the Messiah. Jesus is giving Philip an opportunity to come to that conclusion again. Yet, Philip, there's so many things that he could have answered when Jesus asked him. He could have said, um, I don't know, Jesus, maybe Peter and John can go fishing. Um, maybe you can send manna again. Um, maybe you can turn all these stones to bread. Jesus is asking a heart question, a spiritual question. And Philip literally do the math and give him a physical answer. Andrew made the same mistake. Andrew found this boy with five barley loaves and two fish. And he brings him to Jesus and said, I found this boy. But it's as if, just as he said it, he felt silly and said, but what can we do with that? So many times we do that. We are spiritual on a Sunday. We hear about the feeding of the 5,000. We pray for miracles. We believe. And then on Monday, we go get back to our physical reality. And we wonder how are we going to feed our family of five. I t we took our, take our diaries and we're like, Whew, God, these first two meetings today, I can take them. But this third one, yo, this is a difficult one. Can you help me with this one? Um, I look at my budget and I'm thinking, I will have enough money for bread and milk, electricity, petrol. But this month, I'm trusting God for the uniform of the kids and their school fees. Because you know how expensive that is. Are we not trusting God for everything? We think God's provision is limited. We think that if Eugene and Uncle Joe and Truce are asking for financial provision today, then 
we have reached our dedicated limit for the day. I will just have to make sure that what God gave me last month will be enough for this month. We are limited in the ways we think God can provide for us. About 10 years ago, our family was in a desperate financial situation. And if you've been in that place, that it came up. It was a Friday night and the topic came up. It always comes up if you are in that space. And Andre said something around like, we are at that place where we need groceries delivered on our doorstep. And I laughed. I said, I don't know how God is going to do that because we live in a panhandle and we've got a palisade um, gate with electric fencing. Just after that, I, I went to Spar. And um, as I was walking into this little Spar, I saw this huge guy, scary guy, a biker. He was dressed in blacks with the skulls and the snakes and the, all the things and tattoos. And I was literally going to this aisle and spotted him. And I went into the next aisle and looked for my three items. Just the necessities, bread and milk and bag of tomatoes. And I was going and picking up my, my items and I stopped and saw that there was a special on a six-pack of milk. And I was standing there and, and remember the, to the rand how much money I have in my bank account and making the calculations like Philip. And I heard this scruffy voice behind me that says, you will, need to have, you will need to take two to make use of this bargain. Behind me stood the scary man. I quickly took my three items and scurried away. As I was putting it on the cashier, I saw this arm putting down another six-pack of milk and barked at me, put away your money. And this scary guy took out his purse and counted out the hundreds to pay for my groceries. I was too flabbergasted to say thank you. And then he laughed and walked away and said, good luck carrying that to your car. <laughs> when I got home, as soon as I get, got out of my car, I burst into tears and Andre said, why? What happened? I said, God did the modern version of groceries on our doorstep. Eternal provision is not bounded by laws of physics. It is outside, outside of time and space. It is not necessarily the outcome that you expect, but it's always focused on your eternal destination. It's when doctors tell you that your son will have respiratory problems for the rest of his life, and then he never, ever has respiratory tract infection again because you prayed for him. It's when you apply for your desired course at the university, and you get accepted before you applied. Oh, when you want to do it, and you got accepted. It's when you make an offer to purchase on a house 
your loan gets accepted at three different banks and the property is registered in your name within the scope of three weeks. It's when the city of Cape Town is announcing a day zero and God fills the dams from the bottom up without sending enough rain. It is when you get a job offer out of the blue three days after you were laid off. It's when a missionary travels to a restricted country where Christianity is against the law and he gets pulled out by customs and he opens his bag and the official doesn't see the Bibles right on top of his suitcase. God's eternal provision is whatever miracle we need to take place now, whether physical or in the condition of our hearts, to keep us dependent on Him, to keep us facing Him, to help us to point others to Him. That is eternal provision. We think spiritual reality. God thinks spirit, spiritual surety. God's provision comes out of rest. In verse 10, Jesus is telling the disciples to make the people sit down. The word here is the same word that means recline or relax. It sounds a lot like Psalm 23, verse 2. He makes me lie down. The first mention of bread in the Bible stands in contrast to this. Adam and Eve just had that terrible encounter with a snake. And the, um, God is giving them their consequences. He said, you chose to walk outside of my will. You chose to follow your own heart and walk out of my presence presence. Therefore, you shall work for your bread. It says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Here in John, however, Jesus is showing us, my provision is not a physical feeding. My provision is calling you into a place of rest. To the feet of Jesus, the position I trust. Even Jesus did this miracle from this position. We read that Jesus took the bread and gave give thanks. He wasn't in any place of anxiety, anxious to see if God is going to do this miracle through him. But there was no uncertainty of where his help came from. In Psalm 104, it is put so beautifully. He, that is God, he made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its times for setting. You make the darkness and it is night. When all the beasts of the forest creep about, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Rest is not to not do and lie down. Rest is being, being in his presence. 
Another verse that speaks about this rest and refreshing is Acts 3 verse 19. It says, repent therefore and turn back, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. There's another part about resting that we read in the same story. It's more evident in in the book of Mark. It says, and he, that's Jesus, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. Now in John, it only says after these things. Now these things were the disciples. They were sent out and they came back from ministry. They were tired. And while they were telling Jesus what happened during their time of ministry, they also got the news that John the Baptist was executed. They were emotionally and physically tired. And Jesus said, come away with me. The next we read that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. That is the feeding of the 5,000. And the next minute, we see how Jesus is calling the disciples out to serve the people. You see, when we say that God's provision is from out of rest, the doing will not always be the same, but the being will always be at the feet of Jesus. That's where we find rest. The last thing we see today is that God's provision is sufficient. God is enough, and he will give me what I need. The interesting thing I found in the Bible, or actually what I didn't find in the Bible, is scriptures that tells us that God will give us enough. There are many scriptures that said God is enough. There are many scriptures that says his provision and his riches are infinite. Philippians 4 verse 19 says, God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Psalm 34 verse 10 says, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You may think that that sounds the same, doesn't it? Enough and everything we need. If we look back at our story, we read that the people ate their fill. Another translation said they had enough. The word enough in Greek is impimplastai. It means full to the brim. The modern Greeks used this word to explain gorge or greed. When God says that he will give sufficient provision, the word is austarkaya. It says a perfect condition of life and contentment. Just after the people apparently had enough, they came to Jesus and confronted him. They said this, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? A few verses back it said, and the people believed. Now, seven verses later, it says, what sign do you give that we may believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. What are you going to give us? When I expect to get enough, it's about me. Few people ever feel that they have enough. And if it happens, it's temporary. 
Looking out for yourself can create greed. The mere fact that the disciples had to gather leftovers implies that some people took more than they needed. God's sufficient provision is life-changing. Contentment comes from a change in position, a closeness to God, and a change in our heart condition, a dependence on Him. But those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. My uncle tells this story about my grandma. My mother had four brothers, and for them, things were also a bit tight at times. As a mom of, of a boy, all moms of boys will know it's difficult to get them to a place of enough. So my uncle says that many times, one of the brothers would ask for an extra piece of meat, extra portion, and my grandmother would offer hers, telling them that she didn't um, plan to eat it anyway. My grandma didn't have enough meat. In fact, she had none. Yet, she was content in the fact that her boys had their fill. At the 98, my grandmother still looks to God for everything, content in what he gives her. She is still as dependent to God as she was when the boys were growing up, maybe more so today. She has everything she needs. And every time you visit her, she always greets you with the same sentence. What else can I give you before you leave? The Bible promises in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have enough you need and plenty left over to share with others. God wrote this story so that we could see that God's provision, the miracle of provision, is that Jesus is the Christ who brought eternal salvation, eternal provision from a place of rest, a dependence on Him. And if we are so dependent on Him, we will never lack a good thing. Let us pray. Father God, there are no words to describe our gratefulness. Father God, even before we realized that we, we needed a Savior, that, that we needed you to, to provide for our salvation, you have already done it. Father God, we ask that you come and align our hearts that we will come out of a, a expectance of physical showmanship and stand before you with open hearts and a spiritual dependence on you.
God, may we come into your presence. Draw us back so that we believe that you want us to lack no good thing. Amen. In response to the word this morning, we want to partake in communion. And um, I want you guys to see the thread of what God has been saying to us this morning. Out of pre-service prayer, we had the sense that we should not have to strive for God to be God and do the miraculous. And then Melinda comes and she opens up this passage for us and we learn how Jesus wants us from rest to receive. I love the fact that it was on Passover, referring to the people of Israel back to how God saved them from their slavery and their bondage. And I love how Jesus took both bread and fish. And there was that part in the scripture said, and he said they could have as much as they want. That's beautiful. Because I can imagine as they were taking the bread and breaking it, and even those fishes and breaking it, there might have been some little stains of, of flesh, maybe a little bit of, of blood on their fingers as they were passing. Because what Jesus was doing in this moment, he was pointing them to the Last Supper when he said, my flesh will be broken for you. Like the bread and the blood, my blood will be shed and my body will be broken so that you will, every time you take communion, be reminded of this, that I am the God of more than enough. First and foremost, more than enough that I paid the price for you on the cross for your eternal salvation. But because of that eternity, we can live in his provision today, just as Melinda said. So this morning as we go to the tent down here, we have prepared the communion table. I want you to go with this reminder that God is the God who provides. He's provided salvation for our souls, but he's also so intricately involved in our lives that he provides for our daily needs today. We're going to create opportunity for you to share communion as families. There won't be any official moments down there, but I want to encourage you with the text this morning of what Jesus has done on that last night. And then you can walk down. But let's walk down in an attitude of worship, an attitude of expectation. Let's not go into just banter and talking about, oh, it's so hot and humid today. <laughs> but let's go with expectation just a few hundred trees and kind of imagine it like the journey of Jesus telling the people, hey, here's some grass. Come a, little, come a little to this side and sit down. I want to provide for you today. So imagine as you take that bread and as you drink that cup, imagine the hands of Jesus distributing this to you this morning. Yes, for your eternal salvation, but yes, that He is a promise keeper who provides in all our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It said that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the covenant, new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, thank you as we once again take the bread and the cup that we proclaim that you have paid the final price, that you are all sufficient for our eternal salvation, but that you're also all sufficient for our daily needs. Lord, I pray that as we go down to the table and receive and we think about you, God, that you would encounter our hearts, that you would encounter families, that you would meet us there. And that when we move from the table into the rest of this day and this week, that we would testify of a providing God over everything we need. We trust you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get ready to go down. The children will join us. When you're done, you're welcome to hang out. Connect with friends. We are done for the morning. And uh, thank you for being with us. And we'll see you next Sunday again.